This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's now time for Women on the Waves, a show focusing on issues affecting women, here on Christchurch's community access station, Plains FM. Rachel Hazelden, and today on Women's Lives, Women's Stories, I'm talking to Malia Johnston, the director of the fabulous Owls Do Cry play that is coming to Ōtutahi Christchurch, 7th to 9th of April 2021. Kia ora, Malia. Kia ora. Nice to be here. Wonderful. I'm, I was so blown away by the wonderful, rich, diverse career that you've created for yourself. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You've done a lot of things. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have indeed. And I I said created specifically because uh, it really takes something to have an artistic, creative career in a small country like New Zealand. Yeah, especially in movement and dance. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you come to be involved with Red Leap Theatre and this play? Um, Well, Julie and I met years ago when we were actually working on um, the world of rural art, actually. That was the first time I met her. Mm. But um, that was out of context. And then we we worked um, maybe a few years ago with the New Zealand Dance Company on a project they they were doing. And that's where we discovered this um, collaborative force and energy and interest of working together in mm. terms of um, physical theatre, um, theatre mixing with um, movement design. Yeah. Yeah. And talking to Julie previously, she's all about collaboration and that was the sense when I read up about things that you've written. It's very dear to your heart. Yes, I think when you're kind of working, I mean, you know, she asked me if I would be interested in working with Red Leap on Owls Do Cry and I, um, you know, my, I just was so excited about that concept because Janet Frame had been a personal, had meant a lot to me uh, and actually is on my family tree. So I wow. was just super, um, yeah, super blown away by the offer and yeah, we got really excited and she was blown away by my response. So she's like, okay, great. <laughs> you really want to do this. <laughs> yes. So yeah. what, what does, what's your connection to Janet Frame? Uh, well, actually, for years, I have read her books and just being from the South Island myself and down that way. Um, and she she also was a great friend of Douglas Wright, who is a, a choreographer. So there was a link mm. to her work and her, the way that she writes is very poetic and very physical. Mm. So you can it really creates imagery in your mind when you're reading her books. So, yeah, I was fascinated by her books um, and just the way it made my brain move around and think. So I really loved that. And then when I was talking with my father, who's um, now living in the Rangiora, he um, was saying, oh, what are you doing? Yes, your auntie, she has all her clippings. And I'm like, why does she have all her clippings? And so I went to my auntie's house and 
she'd been researching the maternal line of our family. Right. And Janet Frame had found her way. The frames, it's very distant, but they're there. So then I was like, this is a sign. I have to do this book. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. I love doing family history. Um, It's just, it's kind of like being one's own personal detective and knowing one's whakapapa and history yeah, and it's really relationships. Yeah, it's really interesting when you're research, yeah, researching that maternal line, which is trickier to find because it mm. kind of, you know, in terms of the records, so mm. it is like this treasure trove of finding those connections and, yeah, it's cool. It's mm. cool. Mm. And I still feel, even I grew up in the 70s and uh, a lot of, I wasn't introduced and exposed growing up in the South Island to a lot of New Zealand uh, artists, uh, writers, and particularly not female uh, writers. So have only read Janet Frame recently, and it is very poetic and lyrical, as you say. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's the thing with her writing, is it is, and it's, um, it's really brave, and it, it, it's very her, and it is very unique. Um, and I guess that at the time when she was writing, she was sort of like a rebel because she was pushing into a system of writing where people had rules and regulations and she was breaking those mm. and creating her own kind of writing style, which got crit- critiqued a lot, but also got upheld as, as sort of a symbol for, you know, the process of being a creative individual mm. and what that really means. Yeah. Mm. So, she's, Anna, yeah, she's super cool. <laughs> very cool. And... I got to see Ours Do Cry play in Auckland uh, mm-hmm. and absolutely adored it. Uh, so, um, and I'm not from an arts background, so I don't have particularly the language to describe. Um, but I was mesmerised by all the things that were going on. Uh, the dance, the singing, the acting, the lights, that there were actual books in the theatre. Yes, yes. We we decided that the book was really important in terms of um, being a symbol rather than us as an as a company having to literally take the story and reiterate it. And we came to this decision through the creative process when we were going. You know, like this is a book. It was it was written a long time ago. But it's very symbolic in terms of um, we wanted the book to be literally on the stage with us so that it was our sort of kaitiaki or our reference at all mm. times through, mm. through the process. And, um, yeah, so that was a really interesting discovery when we used the book as a prop mm. inside the work, yeah. Mm. And what do you hope, you're bringing the play down to Christchurch now, what do you hope that the audience will feel or, or learn from it or experience from it? So it's... Um, it's a very, it's a really cool experience. The work is not the book as such, but it it pulls. It's very all, all of the work is from the book. And what we decided we wanted to do as artists was to use this idea of exploration and pushing into new territory. So we're not following a literal narrative. The book doesn't do that. Mm. And then we're using the form of theatre and liveness to experience something with an audience. And so what we want the audience to come away from is a creative journey in which they're kind of getting, you know, they're thinking um, that it reflects back on their life, that they, they, they come into the theatre and have a really visceral experience with us um, that leaves them thinking and feeling. And it's a very mm. positive, the book has lots of um, 
you know, loss and suffering inside it. Mm. But we didn't want that feeling to be with the audience. We wanted them to feel and really inspired also to read the book so that it's about actually being able to connect with the book through a different medium and feeling interested in her writing. Yeah. Beautiful. And as you talk and describe it, it it actually brings back memories of I've been to the Wearable Arts Awards twice, once Mm -hmm. when it was in Nelson and once in Wellington, and it was that same uh, all-surrounding experience. Uh, Yeah, so that's that's an interest of mine, um, is these elements of design and how they have um, an impact on your experience of um, ideas. And Janet Frame's writing is very rich, very thick, filled with filled with metaphors and um, deep thinking and kind of irony and it's playful and it's and it's dark and it's all these things all at once. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're trying to work out how you're going to present these ideas, we were when we were working on the book, we were like, you could do a whole show out of one page of the <laughs> writing because it's so, you know, incredibly provocative. Yeah. So we wanted to create a sense of that thickness and I guess that sort of energy of layers Mm. and the layering of the AV design and the music, all the lyrics that are in the show are from the book. Mm. So, and they transferred beautifully into songs, just like like, literally by the click of a finger, we could give the performers a task to go away and within 10 minutes they had a piece of music that was reflecting back the words and that was really cool. So all of the music has been developed entirely from the sense of the lyrics, mm. um, or, or, sorry, the lyrics, the text, and the poetry of Janet Frame has, you know, that's deeply inspired the, the music. Mm. Um, and the text is not only in the dancers' bodies; it's also projected across the walls at times. And um, yeah, so this mm. kind of layering, and that's that. That was a real choice from our perspective when we were looking at the design. Mm. And we will have a little bit of a taste of the music at the end of the show. Uh, yes, excellent. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Um, and going back to what you were saying about collaboration, uh, mm-hmm. I, um, I'm kind of envious, actually, of the, all the collaboration you get to do. And um, I know in my studies over the years, I always, after I did my master's thesis, I was like, I'm not doing a PhD unless you can do it by group. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> and... Um, uh, I know one of your collaborations is with Rodney Bell, and I, I saw his show Mary Mary, was mm-hmm. absolutely moved by it. So beautiful and moving. Yes, we brought that down to the Christchurch Festival. I think mm. it was um, not last year because we we weren't on last year, but yeah, two thousand and nineteen. Yes. Yeah. So that was really yeah that was really special being able to bring that work. Christchurch finally mm. I do I'm, I'm from Christchurch and I mostly have my work in other cities so it was really special for us to bring that work to Christchurch yeah, yeah. I know a lot of my friends and I um, discussed with that particular arts festival how wonderful it was to have New Zealand um, performers uh, when, yeah. when it's yeah um, I mean it wasn't to do with COVID wasn't it it was the year before that um, yeah, no, it was. It was. It was a, a, a definite um, direction of the festival to celebrate um, artists 
from right. from Christchurch actually. Yes. Not all of the artists were from there, but that was a real driver for mm. the festival direction and to be able to come back home and present our work in that festival is really, really special. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And tell me a bit more about uh, your company, Movement of the Human. Mm-hmm. I love the name of it. Yes, because it's the acronym of MOTH, mm-hmm. M-O-T-H, so Movement of the Human. So, I, yeah, I love that, um, the, the kind of meaning of the MOTH being in a sort of, mostly spends its life sort of germinating before it becomes, you know, this creature that flies into the night and is a celestial navigator. Mm. I really like that. Um, that's the reason we chose that name. But it is a, yeah, it's a collaborative uh, team of people. Rowan Pierce, Eden Mulholland, who who wrote the music for ours, mm. and um, and we work project to project, idea to idea, as a collaborative team towards creating live performance. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and it's not a dance company and it's not a theatre company. We use the forms of either theatre or songwriting or movement um, where we see fit that it supports the ideas the best. Mm. So some of our work is really dance-based and some of it's very theatrical. Mm. So, yeah. Because you certainly started out primarily as a choreographer, didn't you? Yes, mm. I was a dancer in Christchurch. Well, I had my, a dance school there for mm. many years mm. and then I was very passionate about dance and then moved away to Auckland to train full time once I discovered I could actually do that. Like I literally did not, growing up in the 80s in the South Island, you just don't think of that. No. You didn't. Yeah. Think of that as being an actual viable option as a job. I'd never mm. really thought about it or as a training thing that you did professionally and it wasn't until I accidentally stumbled across the course that mm. I did a double take and I'm like, you can study this full time <laughs> yep. as an adult. Oh my yes. goodness. So yeah. yeah, I just dropped what I was doing, which was a science degree at Canterbury University and I went up to Auckland. Yeah, my life changed forever yes. going into that course. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I relate. I certainly didn't. Dance was something uh, I did in my bedroom in private until I kind of got brave that, enough. Didn't we? <laughs> with the... Um, with the <laughs> Mike, pretend microphone and the hairbrush yeah. and looking at ourselves in the reflection of yeah. the window because yeah. no mirrors or anything. Yeah. yeah. And then mm-hmm. it was like, got old enough to kind of go to nightclubs and it was like, it had to be very dark. It had to be brave yeah, enough and the dance impressive. floor had to be full enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you needed protection to be yeah. able to express yourself yeah. in movement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, totally. And it's something I feel I've, I've, I've grown comfortable, you know, as... You know, as I get older, I care far less. Um, and I love the introduction of no lights, no lycra as another option too, um, yes, to just dance cool. freely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I always think, oh, um, I mean, what do you, people that don't feel free to dance or don't like it, what do you wish they knew about the joys of dancing? I, well, I mean, you know, if you don't like doing, I mean, dancing is just a physical expression. I mean, every every human needs to move. Mm. That's what we do. We learn to copy movement right from an early age, and whether we express it through sport or whether we express it with music and, or, you know, whatever whatever that physical expression is, it's really important for us as humans. So um, the form of dance also, you know, it's, it comes in so many forms culturally mm. across the world, you know, vibe-wise, style-wise. There's just so many forms. So, mm. 
yeah, it's hard to put that word into one bucket. Mm. Um, but I guess with the work that I'm doing, you know, we're using it as a poetic way to be able to express ideas. We're using it as an energy force mm. to be able to create energy inside of work. I love creating with dancers because they, they're so open to concepts and ideas and playing and moving their body, and it's amazing. The language of movement can, can communicate so much more and we have language coming out of our mouths. So, mm. it's, yeah, it's a, it's a different way to connect and a different way to understand each other. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm just thinking about connection and just letting I mean, it sink in you, what you're saying. Yeah, it's used. If you think about how it's used culturally, it's used as a ritual to create a ceremony, ceremony like we have movement and haka and that's like you know that's a dance form that's around this challenging territory of meeting people mm. um, it's also used in celebration and welcomes and it's it's just yeah it's like in a similar way that it can kind of tap into another part of our humanity mm. that's really important and that's really rich and deep and very ancient mm. um, yeah so mm. it's a connection for me mm. yeah Definitely. And I, uh, coming from a very Pākehā background, I, it always felt like something other cultures understood much better. Um, <laughs> I know, it's funny, when we were growing up I, and I was down south and we would do folk dancing. Yeah. It yeah. used to be my absolute favourite thing to do at school, primary yes. school, and I was about five or six. I loved it because I loved being in circles with groups of people and skipping and doing yes. all those things. Yes. And, you know, all the kids would be like, oh, no, not folk dancing. Well, that was the only dancing that we had, <laughs> yes. you know, but you look back and you go, oh, my God. And it was like the little record player. And yeah. I just get so excited. I don't know, for me... For me, I always really associate dance with um, a sense of playfulness and joy, and I really love that there's a physical expression. You know, even when you watch kids skipping, mm -hmm. they don't do that if they're unhappy. Mm. You know, it really is a physical manifestation that they're in a good headspace. Mm. Um, so, you know, when you then take up the movement and you start to do those movements, it literally affects, affects your brain, and mm. it can do the other things. Mm. You, can, you, know, you can change your mood. By dancing. Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> That's why it's often done at weddings and celebrations and stuff, because people are feeling good. Yeah. Or when they've been drinking, you know. <laughs> in the classic New Zealand society, we often used to have a drink in order to get the courage to dance. Absolutely. But, yeah, so I yeah. totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm both having mem memories of the dabbling and highland dancing I did as a kid, and then um, and actually shifting my mood, like in being in lockdown during COVID, and mm. just feeling the to shift and move, but there wasn't anywhere to go or do. So just dancing, putting the music yeah. on loud and dancing inside. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I read with interest, um, you know, it sounds like there were key times for you where you had to make courageous choices about going I'm not going to keep doing that, I'm going to do something else or I'm going to give up the security of something to to continue c your creative career mm -hmm. um, I don't think I have any particular question there but just like um, 
I'm, I always love hearing women's stories about having to make unconventional choices at times for their well-being and their spirit and their soul. Mm. It's a balance, isn't it? Because, um, yes, and there is always these compromises when we make a decision in one way. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think a lot of the times those hardest decisions have been letting go of some sense of security so that mm. I can follow something that I really, really know I need or want. Mm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, there's definitely been key moments along the way where that's happened. Yeah, and also um, knowing the practicalities of needing to pay bills and, and have an income and, and things like that. Um, what's your advice to others in the creative field? I mean, you know, you have to have money to pay for your life to exist. You know, mm. like that's a fact. You can't, this idea that you give up the earning to be creative doesn't make any sense to me because mm. you can't function if you're not able to pay your rent or buy food. Mm. So those things are deeply linked to being able to have a creative life. So I don't see how you earn money needs to have to be connected to being creative. Mm. Like they can be and that would be ideal, but they are also they can also be very separate and they and it can support um, your creative life too. So mm. I don't think there's a convention that you can follow or a rule, but, you know, you have to be able to um, earn money. And that it, it, I think a lot of there's a, a lot of chat around the sacrifice. I had to give this up and I had to give up my creative life in order to earn money. Hmm. Yeah, and I, and I feel like that's quite sad because I feel like there's loads of ways to have a creative life that doesn't fit into this job scenario. And I think, yes. you know, with COVID and everything, we're kind of learning that actually we can have different ways of working. We don't have to be locked into this nine to five. We can, we actually can work in different ways mm. at a more positive, mm. potentially, for a working environment, you know, or for ourselves. Mm. I did a project once where I was working with women who had sort of said, you know, I really want to do a project, but I have to pick the kids up at three and then I've got to work here and here and here. And I'm like, well, let's design a project around that time frame. Yeah. We're not going nine to five. We're mm. actually going, when are you available and when's the key time that mm. work for you to be in the room to work? Mm. Um, and we had so much fun. And also, you know, like being able to go, well, if you can only be here for two hours, what does that look like? And how can we make you awesome in the show? Yeah. Rather than thinking they're not here for all of the rehearsals. So, mm. Yeah, it's just changing, uh, being creative around that, Hmm. thinking of what that means as Hmm. well. Hmm. I like what you're saying, and it's something I often say to myself, is uh, I can have what I want, it just may not look how I think it should look. And then that gives me the room to get creative. Totally. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, Janet Frame is very interesting, because... Her poverty was huge. I mean, it's all through the book. Um, she literally had, like, the, it talks about trash and treasure and all of these things, all these things in the book, and her treasure was literally her writing. Mm. For her, that was a way out and a way to sort of come to terms with the circumstances that were happening in her life. And yeah. it's so important to be yeah. able to have, you know, for people to be able to have that balance mm. of being creative and whatever way that is for them mm. you know yeah thank you malia 
and I'm going to invite people do come along to see this amazing play. Uh, I can highly recommend it. And that Red Leap Theatre has generously offered a free double pass to local listeners. So for the first person to contact the station by email, that's info at plainsfm.org.nz. Email the station and um, good luck. And Mali, good luck for the show. Thank you. We're really looking forward to bringing this work to the South Island. It's, um, you know, it's been a, a very um, challenging year for artists, and so it's so cool to finally be able to. We wanted to bring it last year, so mm. it's great that we're going to come down and look forward to seeing you there. Thank you. Small.